Israel is at war, and while we are fighting on our southern and increasingly our northern borders, one of the biggest battles is global for the hearts and minds of those who could support Israel in this time of need. Because the battle is global, it's not only about the Palestinians versus the Israelis. It goes far, far beyond that. Hamas is just the forefront of Iran. It's one large organic monster. So we weren't attacked by a local militia. We were attacked by the Persian Empire. That's thinker Dr. Micha Goodman. You've heard him speaking on politics and on the judicial overhaul in past What Matters Now episodes. But on a morning in which we both got notice of fallen loved ones, we decided to speak to you, supporters of Israel, and ask you to consider what Micha has to say. The conversation is raw and it's real. He tells you what you can do to help. Listen. So this week, I, Amanda Borchel Dan, ask Dr. Micha Goodman what matters now. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachechlawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Micha, thank you so much for letting me join you today. And what we're going to discuss is like something other than we've ever discussed before. So first of all, can you just break down for me what you, what many Israelis are feeling now? I'll share with you everything that I'm feeling. And not because I'm unique, but because I'm not unique. I'm just an Israeli here. This is what I am feeling. I'm in a state of shock, overwhelmed. Because what happened in the massacre of Simchat Torah is unthinkable. We're just um, shocked. But I'm not just shocked. I'm also filled with sadness and grief. Because people that I love, I'm not, this is every Israeli, has someone that they love in, in the hands of the monsters in Gaza. And people that they love that were murdered in Be'eri, in Nachaloz, in Kfar Aza in Sderot, in Ofakim, Chativat Golani. We're not only experiencing shock and grief, we're also experiencing frustration. Frustration because when we needed the military, it wasn't there. When we needed the intelligence to tell us it's going to happen, it didn't function because the entire military establishment and political establishment from the top failed us. And we are so frustrated. But I'm also feeling Admiration, it's another emotion. Because me and all, we admire 
the spirit of our people, the amount of stories of absolute bravery of men and women in Be'eri, in Kfar Aza, in Nir Am, that fought to kill terrorists, to save lives, to save their families, to save other people's families. These stories of Israeli heroism are appearing more and more, and we're filled with admiration to the spirit of these amazing Israelis. And another emotion that I'm experiencing very powerful is inspiration, inspired by Israeli solidarity. Amanda, do you know that 150% of Israelis showed up to duty? <laughs> they called reservists. And, you know, you ask, how many reservists is going to show up? 70%, 80%? Mathematically, it's impossible, I know. 150% people showed up. People that are now in Thailand, people that are now in India, people that are now in London are, are doing everything they can to cut. You know how Israelis don't know how to stand in line? Well, we're not standing in line. We're doing everything we can to cut lines, to get on a plane, to come back, to fight for this country, for this nation. So we're filled with, filled with inspiration of Israeli unity, of Israeli solidarity. We went to try to donate blood the other day, and they told us to go back home because way too many Israelis showed up to donate their blood. We'll have to come back in a few more days. We're also experiencing rage. Rage like we've never experienced before. Rage directed at the monsters of Hamas. And this rage is going to speak very, very loudly in the next few weeks and months to come. Oh, and Amanda. <laughs> Actually, maybe to, sum up, to summarize what I am feeling, what every Israeli is feeling, is a cocktail of emotions. Sadness, grief, shock, inspiration, rage. Solidarity, admiration, and maybe above anything else, in this cocktail of emotions, I feel pride. I've never in my life felt more proud to be an Israeli. So this is me, this is us. We're a cocktail of emotions. That's what we are. That's what we're carrying with us. And this is what we will be carrying with us while we get together to fight back and win. Everything is so raw. You're an analytical thinker and you have historical breadth. Can you please, in some way, compare what's happening now to what happened 50 years ago? This is very, very interesting. In 1973, Israel was taken by surprise. But there wasn't one surprise. There were three surprises bad surprises, and there was one good surprise. We're just trying to think about this. War, as Napoleon said, is the kingdom of uncertainty. It's a magnet to black swans. Like strategic surprises happens in war all the time. And in the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago exactly, there were three bad surprises, but one good surprise. There's also good surprises. And the one good surprise more than compensated for the three bad surprises. Well, here are the three. Let's map this out, okay? So the three bad surprises. One, we were taken by surprise. That was the surprise. The Israeli intelligence community was supposed to deliver a warning a few weeks, a few days before the war broke out. It failed. It didn't. That was one bad surprise. Second bad surprise, the Israeli Air Force was supposed to be highly functional in the first 48 hours of the war. But for many reasons, the Israeli Air Force in the Yom Kippur War and the, the first 48 hours was not functioning. 
Third Batzer Prize, the Pikud Darom, the Southern Command of Israel, with a standing army, with no reserves, was supposed to put all the soldiers in its posts around Sinai. For different reasons, it didn't. These are three Batzer Prizes. Standing army wasn't there, ready. The Air Force wasn't functioning. And the intelligence community didn't deliver a strategic warning. Those are the three bad surprises. But then there was one good surprise. The good surprise is that the Israeli reservists showed up way much quicker than they were expected to. The first reservists were expected to show up within, with all their gear, ready to fight, within 48 hours. They were there after 12 hours, Amanda. They showed up after seven hours, and they were ready to fight after 12 hours. And we were supposed to have all the reservists ready to fight after five, six days. But the surprise was the reservists in 73 were there with all their equipment, with all the divisions within 48 hours. And that good surprise, they just left their shoals, left where they were, colleges around the world, left where they were, came back home to fight and to protect our country. And that good surprise, that good surprise, more than compensated for the three bad surprises. Now let's just map this out, okay? The three bad surprises were from the top, were from how the system, the establishment from the top did not function in the first days of the war. But the good surprise came from the spirit of the people. It came from the bottom. It came from the spirit of our nation. And this is, by the way, the Israeli story. On the top, things seem rotten. From the bottom, things seem inspiring. And it was the spirit of our people from the bottom that saved us from the dysfunction of the system on the top. That was the story of 73. Amanda, this is the story of 2023. Let's add one more element to your analogy. And that's, of course, the background that in fact, the last time we spoke, we were talking about a horribly disunited people because of the judicial overhaul process. Exactly. Just like we are horrified and surprised by the cruelty of Hamas, slaughtering men, women, and children in Beiri, and the Nachalos, and in Kfaraza, and in Sderot. Just like we are shocked and surprised by the cruelty of Hamas. We are also shocked, taken by surprise, by the solidarity and the unity of the Israeli people. Just a month ago, we were talking about civil war and Israelis not liking each other anymore and hating each other. And I think this is the reason why our enemies in Tehran miscalculated. They thought they could attack us because we're divided and they miscalculated. They miscalculated because also we are shocked and surprised by the solidarity, by the unity. There's not one Israeli that's not waking up in the morning every minute of these days and asking one question. How how can I help? Altruism is the new Israeli norm now in the streets of, of, of every community in Israel now. And my girls, my girls woke up yesterday and they asked, what can they do? So they got this WhatsApp that there's a family that needs, um, that their husband was, went to Miluim to reserves and maybe they, and they need some help. So my girls made them some cakes and they go over to the apartment to help and they come back frustrated that, that the family, the apartment is 
filled with cakes and, and, and everything. And they came back frustrated. There's nothing we could do to help. And they were frustrated and I was inspired because they're just, just like we saw the face of evil, we're seeing also the face of solidarity, of love, of goodness, of unity. And now this great surprise will compensate for all the horrible surprises of Simchat Torah 2023. We are in 73, and the spirit of the people from the bottom will compensate for the dysfunction of the establishment from the top. And that is why we are going to win. It's not only people here in Israel who are asking themselves every single moment what they can do to help. It's also people abroad from around the world. I'm receiving messages all the time. Where can I put my money? What should I donate to? What can I send? How can we help? And I think part of what we need to drill down and, and discuss today is that this is going to be so necessary, so needed, and yet we need to also discuss the different Israel that we're going to have. So there was a myth, of course, of deterrence. We had a myth in our head, Israel, the high-tech startup nation, we have this border, we have this uh, high-tech ways of defending the border, <laughs> But all of it turned out to be false, a legend, a myth. You know, Amanda, how some people are disoriented socially, that they have no idea what other people feel about them and think about them. Like some people are not funny and they think they're funny. Some people are not smart, but they think they're smart. <laughs> we, I think we also have, what we have that is collectively, we thought we were scary. We thought that our neighbors in this tough neighborhood are afraid of us. Because the only thing that really was supposed to protect Nachal Oz, Kfar Aza, Ufakim, Sderot, is not that fence that was teared down with a tractor. That was that the fact that they'll never dare to mess with us. That if they touch the fence, all hell will break loose. And what we've learned is that we are disoriented just like the person that thinks he's funny, but he's not. Israel thought it's scary, but it's not. And here's maybe my best take at this moment. When we speak about our international relationships, there's two emotions we have to be thinking about, love and fear. We want love. We want Western civilization to love us. We want Bono to sing songs about us. We want Madonna to share stories on Instagram about how much she admires us and loves us. That's what we want in the West. We want to be loved in the West. In the Middle East, we don't want to be loved. We want to be feared. It's a different emotion. We want that Hezbollah will have a panic attack when they think about the Israeli defense forces. We want Iran to shiver when it thinks about the possibility of a military interaction with Israel. We want the Middle East to have fear from us. We want two things. We want love and we want fear. We want love from the West. We want fear from the Middle East. But here's the problem, Amanda. There's a zero-sum game between these emotions because here's how it goes. Everything that we are going to do to restore the fear is going to erode the love. Everything we do that will guarantee that the Middle East is afraid of Israelis, of these crazy, unpredictable Israelis, 
everything we do in order to build that myth back again is going to make people in the West not like us, not love us. And the other way around, if we will try to keep the West loving us and writing songs about us, we will not restore the fear of the Middle East from us. So it's a zero-sum game. And if people are asking questions about what can they do to help us, here's what you can do. Break the zero-sum game. Micha, I think there are many other myths that have been busted during this war, during the infiltration itself. And one of the myths that I think Israelis have held is that Hamas are just terrorists, that they're just this ragtag operation of terrorists. And what are terrorists? They're with guns or throwing rocks or Molotov cocktails, this kind of homegrown weaponry. But this is not the case. And we're seeing what we saw was such a pre-planned, coordinated attack that for me is one of the more shocking elements of the failure of our intelligence, of course, but the fact that this Hamas that we've always felt that we were so much stronger than, no, they actually have a standing army, they have an air force, they have a navy, they have every wing of an army that we do as well. Do you see that this myth also is being busted in Israeli society? Maybe the myth was, just like we thought we are not united, and we are. Also, we woke up to realize that we thought it's just Hamas, but it's not. They are united. Hamas is just the forefront of Iran. It's one large organic monster. It's one. So what we, we weren't attacked by a local militia. We were attacked by the Persian Empire. We were attacked by Iran. And just like we realize that we are all connected to each other much more than we ever imagined, we realize we're connected to each other. We have to also realize that they are also connected. They are also one axis of evil. And this is, so if you think it's just us versus Hamas, it's just Hamas. It's not Hamas. It's not Hamas. It's a, it's a large, powerful, sophisticated network of military forces. They're training and were designed to bring Israel down. But they miscalculated. They miscalculated because I think they, they were looking at Israel the past eight months and they saw two things. They saw America distancing itself from Israel and they saw Israel collapsing from within. And they thought, hey, if we attack them, they're not united, and America's not behind them. But as we saw last night... As we see, President Biden, the Winston Churchill of this generation, made it very loud and clear. They've miscalculated. America stands with Israel, and Israel is connected and united more than ever. We thought that they're weak. We miscalculated. They thought that we are alone. Now they're the ones who miscalculated. And the price they are going to pay for their miscalculation is a price that is going to be so loud and so clear that no one in the Middle East will ever want to pay that price. By the way, how do we know that we won? What does victory look like? I'll tell you. When people will be willing to go back to Kfar Aza, back to Be'eri, 
back to Nachal Oz, back to Nir Oz, back to Nir Am, back to Sderot, back to these, these amazing Israelis going back to live in those communities, raising their children in their communities. By the way, I know of many Israelis that are right now saying, day after the war, we are going to go and settle Otef Aza, the area surrounding Gaza. And that will be the testimony of victory. People will be willing to raise their children around Gaza again. They will be willing to do that and to live there only if they know that there is a barrier that's protecting them. And the barrier is not our cameras. It's not the fence. It's a barrier of fear. The fear of Hamas, the fear of our enemies. Never to pull a Kishinev on us again. Again, you have a broad historical breadth of a way of thinking and analyzing things, which is so wonderful when I'm speaking with you. And there have been other kingdoms of Israel. We're not the first. It fell because of internal strife in the past. Right now, we're feeling very unified. But do you feel like this is some kind of wake-up moment as well? Yes. The Israelis, the Israelis that you are seeing today, and this is important that all the lovers of Israel know, we're not the same Israelis that we were before the 7th of October, before Simchat Torah. And this is what happened to us. For 12 hours, between 6.30 in the morning and 6.30 in the evening, roughly, I'm not, I'm not, roughly 12 hours, the state of Israel didn't exist. In the area between Sderot and Alumim, in the area that's surrounding Gaza, the state of Israel wasn't there. It wasn't there to protect their civilians that were massacred and butchered in their homes. I hope the people that are listening to us know what happened in Be'eri and never ever forget what happened in Be'eri and the Nachalos. Never forget what happened there. And the state of Israel wasn't there to protect them. And they were slaughtered. They were butchered. I would say those 12 hours are a black hole in Israeli history. Officially, State of Israel exists. Officially, it happened. The pogrom happened in land where Israel, where, 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 where Jews are sovereign, officially. But actually, for 12 hours, there was a black hole of Jewish sovereignty. There was a black hole for 12 hours. No state, no one to protect us between Alumim and Sderot. No one was there. And in the long term, that will change us. I'll tell you why it will change us. Because the founding fathers and mothers of the state of Israel knew that Israel is not to be taken for granted, knew that Jewish sovereignty should not be trivialized. And the reason why they knew it can't be taken for granted because they were there in a world where Jews didn't have a state, they were there when Jews had a state, they, and they knew that this should not be taken for granted. What happens to us that after a while, and that's true about everything in life, the most amazing miracles become normalized, and everything gets taken for granted. And what happens is that the second generation kind of still knows it's a miracle, and we can't mess this up, and the third generation forgets, and the fourth generation starts screwing things up because it takes everything for granted. And Jewish, and we just got a text message from Jewish history. Jewish history says hello. Jewish history 
showed us this is how it looks like those 12 hours this is how it looks like when jews don't have a state and we saw how it looks like it looks like a kishinev so here jewish history called us up and said hello this is a reminder this is how it looks like when jews and now we have the perspective that the founding fathers and mothers of israel have we saw how it looks like without a state we know how it looks like with a state and we will never take our sovereignty for granted actually i'm exaggerating we will in a generation or two we'll forget but we just now gained a few years maybe tens of years where we will know that we don't mess we can't do what we've been doing the past eight months just you know um uh, weakening this important historic project called zionism we can't do that we got a reminder from jewish history that the we now we know where the founding fathers and mothers knew and we've forgotten that the alternative to israel is kishinev and that is why there is no alternative like president biden quoted gold in the ear we actually have nowhere else to go President Biden can quote Golda Meir because he met her. He had that first-person experience with her. The next generation of leadership in the United States does not have that. The one after that definitely does not. And they're so often, even those who, the political party that has traditionally been on Israel's side, the Democrats, is now much, much less. They're the generation that we here you and I are trying to reach with our conversation today because, as you said, Israel cannot go it alone. And Joe Biden definitely made clear that, from his perspective, we are not alone. But while we're the flavor of the minute, we're the, the people to support right now, we're the Davids, not the Goliaths. What is going to happen, Micha, when inevitably... Israel will hit hard with an iron fist like Israel has never hit ever before. I'm afraid that the way we are now, the way Israel is after the massacre of Simchat Torah, this is how many people in the world, this is how we need to be for many people in the world to like us, to love us. But that is so anathema to the new Zionists, exactly. to the strong Zionists. Exactly. Now, many of these people that like us after we are hit will not like us when we hit back. And I want to say something to all the lovers of Israel, my Jewish brothers and sisters in Europe, in the United States, and all over the world, and also non-Jews that love Israel. And understand that there is a very long and tough journey in front of us. What you feel now towards us you're not going to be feeling in a few weeks and months. The Buddha taught us that nothing is permanent, especially not our emotions. But emotions always appear with an illusion that this is, this is the new me. This emotion is going to stick. This is I'm going to be feeling forever. But emotions are impermanent. And the love, the love to, directed at Israel, Bono singing songs, all that thing, this is impermanent. This is directed at us after we are hit. Not, many of these emotions are going to evaporate after we hit back strongly. But I want to ask the lovers of Israel and the people of Israel, please remember how you feel now at this moment of a moral clarity 
What you feel now, you're not going to be feeling in the future. And that's fine. That's natural. Emotions are impermanent, but loyalty isn't. I want to ask you to be loyal to this moment and then doing the next moments. Loyal to what you see now. And stay loyal to what you see now, even when you won't feel what you feel now. Remember, Amanda, how uh, just 15 minutes ago, we were discussing the zero-sum game between love and fear, that we need the Middle East to fear us and we need the West to love us, but it's a zero-sum game because everything we do in order to restore the fear in the Middle East will erode the love in the West. Remember that? Well, this is what we're asking the lovers of Israel. Please break that zero-sum game. Stay with us. Stay with us with love while we restore the fear. Because if you do, if you do, President Biden, the administration, the force of America will stay with us. And if the force of America will stay with us, we are going to win. And this is something very, this is for the first time in Israeli history, the relationship between Israelis and diaspora Jews is upside down. It's upside down. I know it's distorted. I know it's weird. But temporarily, it's upside down. The state of Israel was created and formed in order to save the Jewish world. Right now, we need the help of the Jewish world in order to keep Israel strong. We need the help. And the help is stay loyal, not only to Israel, stay loyal to the moral clarity you have now regarding Israel. I'm telling you, in the future, you will not feel what you feel now. But stay loyal to what you see now. And in halacha, in Jewish law, there is this idea of a neder. A neder is when you make a vow that the different versions that you are going to be in the future will stay obligated to this moment in the present. I'm asking the lovers of Israel to make a neder now, to make a neder, to make a vow that weeks and months from now, you will stand with us. You will stand with us when we hit and not only when we got hit. So this is me and you, Amanda. Israelis experiencing this cocktail of emotions and we know that now we are not alone, but we will win if also in the future we won't be alone. If you will help us break the zero-sum game of fear and love while we store fear in the Middle East, you will protect the admiration and support for Israel in the West. If we can do that, if we could work together, we're going to win this and rebuild our communities in Nachal Oz and in Kfar Aza. And while we defeat the forces of death, Israelis will continue to express love, solidarity, and choose life. We're in this together. Please Go to your rabbis, go to your leaders together now before we hit back. Now, when you're experiencing what you're experiencing and seeing what you're seeing, this is the time for the nedir. This is the time for the vow. Make this vow. We will support Israel throughout the period where it's fighting for its existence. Micha, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Amanda. There's two words that Israelis are saying to each other these days. Beyachad. Together, we will win. Amen. When I came to Israel in 1999, I was nominally just here for a year program following my university studies. 
but I quickly realized that this is the country for me to plant my roots. For me, a visit to Mount Herzl, Israel's national military cemetery, was my moment of reckoning. I looked at grave after grave after grave and wondered, am I really ready to make this ultimate sacrifice of the husband I've yet to meet and the children I've yet to have? It's now 24 years later. I've spent half my life here, and I don't have any regrets for that decision. But especially now, witnessing our nation again in mourning, I just realized how naive I was. Special thanks to Charlie Summers for his help with the What Matters Now transcripts. If you have any comments about this or other episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until next time... We hope for shalom.